If you have your Bibles, grab them, turn with me to the book of John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we're going to be in verse 18 starting off. Hello to everybody who is watching online. Grateful that you guys have joined us as well. If we haven't met, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, can't wait to just share what God has, uh, has been speaking to me and what God's going to be speaking through his word today. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife Katie and I, we got a chance to do something uh, very exciting for young parents, which is to get away for a night uh, without the kids, and that's always a beautiful thing. And so uh, we, uh, we were able to, to go to an awesome hotel, and uh, the first thing we did, we checked in, and we headed to the hotel pool. And it was a beautiful day. We sat out on our uh, pool chairs. We were basically the only ones there. Uh, we both like read significant chunks of a book, which was awesome, and uh, uninterrupted. We swam laps. We just laid and lounged in the sun. And it uh, recurred to me at that moment, like this experience is in fact different than being at the pool with a toddler. <laughs> and when you're at the pool with a toddler, don't get me wrong, it's an awesome experience. And it's very fun. And when you live in a place that has uh, 99 degree weather and like 99% humidity, like sometimes it's the only thing to do. But if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you know that it is a different experience when you're with a little one because you have to be on high alert. You got to be making sure that this is a fun situation, but it's also a potentially dangerous situation, and so you want to be prepared. And, and I say that to say, when, when Katie and I, were, when we're at the pool with our kiddos, um, we are not paranoid, but we are prepared. We are not afraid, but we are alert. Now today in our text, we are going to discover something very fascinating. The title of my teaching today is called Imposters. Imposters, and we're going to discover that within the 12 disciples, one of them was an imposter. He was among the 12, but he was not of the 12. And what we're also going to discover today is that in churches all over the world, and in pretty much every healthy church, there are also imposters. And what I when I start talking about this, the, the danger and the temptation is for all of us to get paranoid and start looking around, like, concerned about who's here. And I want to encourage us, we're not here to get paranoid. We're not here to get afraid, but we are called to be prepared. We're called to be alert. And so that's what we're going to do as we dive in. So let's do so. John chapter 13, starting in verse 18. Last week, Pastor David, he taught us an awesome message about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So we're here at this moment. Jesus is uh, on the last night of his life. And he has just washed the disciples' feet and he's just taught them. And the last thing that he said is, now if you obey these things, you will receive a blessing. He's talking to his disciples. And now let's look at verse 18 and it says this. I am not referring to all of you. Jesus is teaching here. He says, I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture that said, He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who accepts 
anyone that I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So Jesus, he very explicitly reveals some new information to his disciples. And he tells them that someone in the room is an imposter. That that one of you that has been traveling with me, that has been ministering with me, that has been serving alongside me for three years is among us, but he's not of us. He is going to betray me. And in fact, he quotes from Psalm chapter 49, verse 11, and, and lets his disciples know that this has been predicted. Let's keep going. Verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. Now think about this. If you were a disciple, you had given up everything to follow Jesus. You had dedicated the past three years of your life to being with him. But not just to being with him, but to being with these other 11 people. And these were your friends. These were your ministry partners. These were the guys that you built campfires with and, and watched Jesus do amazing things with. And now Jesus is saying that someone here is not who they say they are. Imagine the feeling. Imagine the fear. Imagine the confusion that must have happened. Verse 23, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to that disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Now, I don't know this for sure. This is Brian's interpretation. But I believe that Peter was tired of being the one who was always getting into trouble. (laughs) Right? He's always the one putting his foot in his mouth. He's always the one that Jesus is rebuking. And so he says, John, it's time for you to ask a question, okay? You're the one who needs to ask this. And so it says this, verse 25, leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So traditional Jewish meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, normal meals, happened um, at a table, much like we would eat at a table. But during special meals, special festivals, they reclined around the table. Think about it like perhaps you have a breakfast nook where you eat normal food, but when fancy company comes over, you go to the dining room. It's kind of like this. And so they're all reclining because this is the Passover. This is a significant, important meal. And so John is reclining next to Jesus, and he's the one who asks, God, Jesus, who is going to betray you? Verse 26, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus, he takes this morsel of bread and hands it to Judas. Traditionally speaking, this actually would have been an act of of great respect. Jesus, a great act of kindness giving him this bread. And I believe this is Judas's final opportunity to do the right thing, to turn back. But he takes the bread, and what we read is that at that moment, Satan enters him. And so he makes this decision to turn fully towards darkness, to turn fully towards betraying Jesus. And then look at the end of verse 27. Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. 
I think it's fascinating and significant for us to realize that even though Satan was now in Judas, Satan had power over Judas, Jesus still had power over Satan. See, Jesus is actually giving a command right here. And so Jesus said, no one takes my life. I'm not doing this unwillingly. In fact, I am still on the throne here, and I'm commanding what's going to happen. Now look with me at verse 28. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said this, so there's still confusion. Since Judas had charge of the money, some of them thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. So as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So let's learn a little bit about Judas. Uh, Judas was one of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, and he had spent three years with Jesus just like the other 12. Judas's job with the 12 disciples was very special. He was in charge of the money. He was the accountant. He was the finance guy. He was the CFO of the operation. And Judas, he was greedy. Most of the time when we read about Judas, it's him being interested in acquiring money. And that greed turned his heart away from Jesus to the point where at some point along the line, he became disenchanted with Jesus and disenchanted with the ministry of Jesus. And he decided, I'm done with this. I'm willing to betray him. And we actually find sort of the background of how this happened in the Gospel of Luke. In a few days before the events that we just read about, in Luke chapter 22, it says this, Then Satan entered Judas, called the Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Judas. So he says, hey, I'm willing to betray you. I'm willing to betray Jesus. I'm willing to hand him over to you. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. And he consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. This is very key when no crowd was present. Now notice this. Because often I have wondered, why is Judas necessary to the story? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, why didn't they just take Jesus without, anyone, uh, without anyone's help? Well, the reality is Jesus was immensely popular. And so if they had arrested Jesus in the middle of the day alongside a crowd or as he's doing a miracle, they risked a riot, an uprising happening. And so they needed to do it in secret. They needed an inside man to tell him, where is Jesus when he's in private, when no one else will see? And Judas knew where you could find Jesus when no crowd was present. Now, we discover that Judas actually eventually regretted betraying Jesus. And even a few hours later, he took the money back to the chief priests and handed it over to them, but they actually refused to take it because it was blood money. So they took the money, and they bought a field outside of Jerusalem, and it's called the Potter's Field. And it was a place where they buried people who had passed away that were unclaimed or unknown. And that actual moment, that that purchase of the potter's field was actually prophesied about hundreds of years earlier in Zechariah eleven thirteen. 
But Judas himself, he was so sorrowful about his actions that he actually took his own life. But we know he never repented. He never returned to God. He was just sad and remorseful about what he, what he did. And so the story of Judas truly does end in tragedy. But I think it's important that we reflect about Judas for this principle. Judas was among the disciples. He was not of the disciples. He was an imposter. And we must realize that in healthy churches all around the world, there are people who are among us, but they are not of us. They too are imposters. Now, I don't say this to alarm anyone, but I say this to inform us so that we can be knowledgeable about what the scripture teaches. And so I'm going to give you four pieces of imposter information, four pieces of imposter information. Here's number one. Imposter info number one is this, that in every church, in every healthy church, there are sheep and there are seekers. Everybody say seeker. Seeker. A seeker is someone who is not committed to being a Christian, but they are interested in the things of God. And at our church, we, we love when seekers come. And maybe you're a seeker because you are just going through a hard time. You're going through a trial and you realize, man, I, I need help. I need God in my life. We had a lady last night. That was her story. She came because she was going through a huge trial and gave her life to Christ. Praise God. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we can, we, can, we can celebrate that. Maybe you're a seeker just because you're interested in the person of Jesus. Maybe you're just looking and there's this search for meaning going on in your life. Maybe your neighbor told you that they were going to take you out for coffee, and then they handed you a cup of free coffee from the commons and brought you to church, and they're like, here's your coffee, we're at church. <laughs> and if that happened, like, I'm sorry that they tricked you. I hope, I hope you get something out of this. But listen, if you're a seeker, you're not an imposter, okay? We, we love having seekers at our church. We want people to be at our church who don't know Jesus. We're not, a, we're, we're not a country club here. We're not trying to be as exclusive as possible. We are a rescue ship. We're trying to reach people and see people meet Jesus, right? That's what we want to see. So there are seekers, but there are also sheep. What is a sheep? A sheep is someone who has Jesus as their good shepherd. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, you are a sheep. I am a sheep. In every church, there are sheep and there are seekers. But piece of information number two, in every healthy church, there are also imposters. There are imposters. There are people who appear to be authentic, but they are not. Uh, we, we have some incredible men and women of God who are at our young adult uh, community, the, the harbor, and uh, two, two of them, um, they're Christian hip-hop artists, and they have a song where they talk about this, and they say, I follow Jesus, and you follow cheeses, you go where the cheddar is. <laughs> and what is cheddar? Cheddar is power. Cheddar is fame. Cheddar is money. Cheddar is prestige. Cheddar is lust. And so there are people that they see the church as an opportunity to advance themselves rather than to actually be here to receive the things of God. Jesus told a story about this. It's called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And what he said is that there is a farmer and he plants grain, wheat into the ground. But then as night comes, 
the farmer's enemy comes and he sows tares into the ground. Now, Jewish first century farmers would have understood this story, that tares look exactly like wheat. And as they begin to grow, they look identical until harvest comes and one has grain on it and one is a false. And the the farmer, Jesus says, has his servants come to him. And they say, sir, should we tear out the tares? Should we remove the tares? And this is the response of the farmer. Look at it on the screen. He says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvester, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And so this is an important principle, that God the Father, who's representative of the farmer, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, what he has said is, I'm going to allow there to be imposters that are going to go alongside those who are true and authentic Christians. And sometimes we may discover that someone's an imposter, but sometimes we may not, and we may not even know until judgment day. So in every church, there are seekers, there are sheep, but there are also imposters. Now, here's the third piece of information that you need to know. Some imposters are fake sheep. And here's what I mean by that. They're only dangerous to themselves. So being a Christian is challenging, but being around church, there are some great benefits to it, right? Like we have an incredible kids ministry. It's amazing. They'll like just take your kids and, and, and like watch them for you and do a great job at it. We have awesome worship, We hopefully have encouraging, inspirational teachings. We have opportunities to connect with amazing people and find a place to belong. We have opportunities to serve. We have opportunities to get involved. These are all awesome things. But listen, it's not what being a Christian is. Having a great worship ministry, having a great kids ministry, finding your purpose in life, man, those are awesome. Those are not being a Christian. Being a Christian is getting saved by Jesus and walking with Jesus. And when you get saved by Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, you will walk in some of those other things, but there are people who they can play the game, but they're not truly following the Lord. And this is the sober warning that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter seven. Look at it on the screen. This is very, very sobering. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. I'm gonna come back to this in just a second, but I need us to acknowledge something. The person here that Jesus is describing has a thriving ministry. Like we would all look at this person prophesying, casting out demons, doing miracles, and we would be like, that is an awesome Christian. And there are people that Jesus says this will be the case. God, I preached awesome sermons for you. God, I led worship for you. God, I served every single week in guest services. And yet Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. 
And what we need to realize is this. Look with me. If you want to be a true Christian, first off, look at the bottom line. Jesus said, I never knew you. If you want to be a true Christian, you need to know Jesus. You need to know that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose again, and that he is inviting you into a relationship with the living God. You need to know Jesus. And then look at the second line, only the one who does the will of my Father. If you want to be a true Christian, you're saying, Jesus is my king. I want to obey him. I want to follow him. I want to do the things that he calls me to do. I'm not just calling Jesus a cool influence in my life. He is my king. He's my Lord. And so there are going to be fake sheep. They're playing the game. But here's the fourth and final piece of imposter info that in every church that some imposters are wolves. And you can write this down too. You're a wolf or a sheep. It depends what you eat. (laughs) So... Sheep eat grass, and wolves eat, yes, you guys are catching on. And so yes, there are people who are just playing the game, but there are also people in healthy churches everywhere that they see the church as an opportunity to advance themselves, and they're preying on the sheep. Now, let's look at the scripture again. Let's see what God teaches. Second Peter chapter 1. Or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 2, he says, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So first thing about a wolf, they are a false teacher. They're teaching a different gospel than the true gospel. They're trying to mislead the sheep. And they bring upon them swift destruction. Verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality. Their sensuality, they say things that make you feel good. When you hear it, it sounds appealing to your flesh. You want it to be true. And then number three, or verse three, and in their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. They have greedy motives. They're not wanting to advance the gospel. They're not wanting to advance the kingdom. They're not wanting to serve you. They're serving themselves. And this is true outside of the church. It's also true inside of the church. Outside, Right now, I think a huge thing is, is, is social media. A huge thing is YouTube. And we do have to be careful with what we listen to because there are many spiritual teachers. There are many people who will read a verse and throw out some ideas. Are they speaking the truth? And inside the church, people do attempt to enter in and they do attempt to pull people away. Now, I notice here, and I, I have seen this in all the services, that at this moment, everyone's sort of sitting like this, and they're like, is there a wolf in my row? <laughs> and so I want to give you just three practical things. How do we respond to imposters? Because again, we're not paranoid. We're not afraid. We're prepared, and we're alert. And so the first thing is this, how to respond to imposters. Number one is be alert. Be alert. Now, I did not watch uh, G.I. Joe growing up as a kid, but I am told that G.I. Joe said that knowing is half the battle. battle. (laughs) Let's go. Only like six other people have watched G.I. Joe growing up, apparently. (laughs) But you watched it. Knowing is half the battle, and so I think it's important for us to realize that just being aware that this is a thing is helpful. Knowing that this is a reality helps us 
to move forward. The, the second thing, and this is a very practical thing for everybody, is follow Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Now, I'm not going to read the whole verse right now. I would encourage you to write it down and look at it later. But in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus actually outlines a way for us to address conflict in the church. And when we have potential conflict with someone, when we have potential questions with someone, this is what we do. And the three steps that he gives is, number one, go directly to that person and have a conversation. Number two, if that doesn't work, bring a wise or trusted friend or two. And then number three is bring it to church leadership. Now, this is why this is important. Let's say you're in a small group and you suspect someone is trying to inject heresy into your small group. Let's say someone's in the small group and they say, you know, Jesus, he wasn't really God. He was just kind of like a really awesome human. Now, they could be a false teacher. They also could be someone who has been at church for four weeks and they just don't know. And so we don't want to immediately attack them. We don't want to have a witch hunt here. We, we just want to say, okay, let's, let's go through the process that Jesus laid out. We're not suspicious. We're not like, oh my gosh, let's get them. So you go directly to them. And you have a conversation. And if they are new, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know. Thank you. That's helpful for me as I grow in my faith. Problem solved. But, but if they do have a false motive, if they start disagreeing with you, being compatible with you, you go to step two. You bring in another trusted person, a wise person, and you guys talk. And then if that doesn't work, you take it to church leadership, and church leadership will work it out. By the way, a huge part of our job as pastors and elders is to guard the flock, to protect the flock. And so there are sometimes things that happen that you may not know about where we are having these conversations and making sure that our flock is protected. And this leads us to number three, how to respond. Be planted in a healthy church. Be planted in a healthy church. Here's why. A healthy church is going to teach you scripture. So you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, you'll be able to recognize lies. A healthy church is going to have healthy leaders. Healthy leaders are those who are guarding the flock, are making sure that heresy and, and false destructive behaviors aren't getting in. And then most importantly, a healthy church is going to be full of the Holy Spirit. And here's what's awesome. The Holy Spirit loves the church. The Holy Spirit wants to protect the church. The Holy Spirit is doing the will of Jesus, and Jesus is the great shepherd of the church. So be a part of a healthy church. There's protection there. Okay, we've talked a lot about imposters. Now, I want us to remember this. We need to be informed. We need to be alert. We need to be prepared. But I don't want us as a church to get obsessed with imposters. The reason is because if we're obsessed with imposters, we're not going to be obsessed with what we need to be obsessed with, which is Jesus and which is walking on mission. See, we can all get too paranoid. And this is how I'll describe it. This is the illustration I'll use. And by the way, I'm gonna let you know, I'm about to use an illustration that alienates 90% of the congregation, okay? So I personally really like golf. See, Hear, heard the silence, like no one's connected. <laughs> it's just for me. And so I enjoy golf, and so when I try to get better at golf, when I try to advance uh, my, my uh, golf career, which is very sad and never going anywhere, <laughs> I don't go to our local golf courses to find examples. 
The reason is, no one at our local golf courses has ever made any money playing golf. <laughs> With all due respect to those who frequent the local golf courses, some of them who are in this room, I'm one of those people. No, I, I look online and I find people who are professionals, people who are good at their craft, people who actually know how to swing a golf club, right? Because if I look at those people and if I receive training from those people, if I go to one of our golf courses and hire a pro to teach me how to do that, that's going to show me the authentic. And when I see the authentic, then when I watch someone who swings poorly, I know, yeah, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. When I look in the mirror, I say, yeah, that's not the way you're supposed to do it. I'm not obsessed with the bad. I want to be focused on the good, and that's going to help me know the bad. And so in the same way, man, we got to be obsessed with Jesus. We got to be obsessed with his mission. We got to be obsessed with his commandments. And when we do that, we're already going to be able to recognize imposters. And Jesus in this next verses is going to give us a significant commandment for us to focus on. So let's look again at the scripture, verse 31. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will only be with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. So all of this is Jesus once again telling the disciples, I'm going to the cross, and the hour is here. The hour is right now. But then he says this, I want us to look at this for a minute. Verse 34, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. Everybody say love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus, he commands us. He says, my people, my disciples, Christians, we are called to be a people of love. We are called to be a people that radically loves and serves each other. I want to tell you three blessings that come from a loving church. Three blessings that come from a life of love. Number one, love is an evidence of genuine faith. When, when you follow Jesus, something's going to happen in your life. You are going to start loving people. You're, you're going to start acting less selfishly and acting more selflessly. You're going to see people that you want judged and have compassion for them. You're going to be looking to give away your life to people to serve them. And when that happens, when you see that happening in your life, you can be encouraged that God is working, that you are a genuine follower of Jesus because he's making you a person of love. This is what 1 John 3.14 says. Number two, unity is evangelism. I think this is so cool. We just read it. But Jesus says, the way that the world is going to know that you are my disciples is your love for each other. Now, I believe we need more than this for evangelism. I think we need to learn how to share the gospel with people. I think we need to learn how to tell our testimony to people. I think we need to have the boldness to invite people to church. But in addition to those things, Here's the reality. Jesus says, when we figure out love, when we self-sacrificially love one another, people are going to look at us and they're going to say, Jesus is real and I want to be part of it. 
And so unity is evangelism. As we serve each other, it's showing the world that Jesus is real. And then the third thing is unity brings anointing. It brings the blessing of God. It says in Psalm 133, I would encourage you, read it. Spend some time in it this week. It says that how good and blessed it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And in verse 3, it actually says, God commands a blessing where there is unity among the brothers and sisters of the faith. So if we as a church, we say, you know what? I want God to bless our church. I want to walk in the blessing of God. You know what? We have to be unified. We have to serve each other. We got to love each other. If we do that, God will actually command a blessing on our church. Isn't that amazing? So how do we love? Well, Jesus, he gave us three different groups of people that we're called to love. He also said, love God. He said, love Jesus. But we'll talk about three human groups of people that we're called to love. First off, Jesus says that we should love one another. That we should love one another the same way Jesus loved us. And so who is one another? One another is fellow Christians. Church, we should love the world, but we should especially love fellow believers, serve fellow believers. And Jesus, the way that he loved us, we find this in John chapter 15, verse 13, where he says that greater love has no one than this, than someone who lays down his life for his friends. And, and so you and I, we are called to lay down our lives for each other. And sometimes that's a grand, huge gesture. Sometimes that's just daily acts of sacrifice to help each other. I, I think about our kids' ministry, and I think about the volunteers in our kids' ministry. They're laying down their lives for each other. They, they, it's easier just to come to church and leave, but they're coming, and they're serving, and they're taking care of our kids so that we can be here and learn and grow. And man, maybe God even would put it on your heart to step into a, a new opportunity of, of serving in, in our kids' ministry. I, I think about various acts that no one even knows about, where people in our congregation, our body, see needs of others and they take time to act. Where we look to serve each other, we look to encourage each other, we look to pray for each other, we're laying down our lives for our friends. The second group of people that Jesus called us to love is he called to, us to love our neighbor. And we love our neighbor by meeting their needs. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. In the Good Samaritan, we learn that our neighbor is anyone we come into contact with who has a need, and we love them by meeting those felt needs. And here's what's cool. When we meet the physical needs of people, it opens up a door for us to meet their spiritual need and talk about Jesus. And so maybe this week, there's going to be people all over Brevard County that you're going to see their need and you're going to meet their need. You're going to swipe your credit card at the gas pump and pump their gas for them. You're going to see them at the grocery store and God's going to lay on your heart to, to buy them something. Or you're going to just see a neighbor in need and you're going to take care of that need. And that opportunity is actually going to help you to be able to share about Jesus. And then the third one is this, that we love our enemies. Jesus says that we're called to love our enemies by serving them. And this one's a hard one. Uh, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but here's what Jesus says. He says, anybody, anybody can love their friends. Like, it's not special that we as Christians love our friends. That's what everybody does. 
He says, my people are called to love our enemies. We're called to love our boss that seems to have it out for us. We're called to love our coworker, the coworker that drives everyone else crazy. We're called to love our neighbor that, that, that is really frustrating and that is petty and that does things to, like, that, you know, never mows their side of the grass or whatever. We're called to, to love those people. We're called to actually take the time to serve. And so as we love one another, as we love our neighbor, as we love our enemy, we're going to be people of love and people will see that we are disciples of Jesus. We're going to wrap up with this. Just two, three more verses left. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So that's where we'll end our study. But I want to talk about this for a moment. We're going to discover over the next few weeks more about Peter denying Jesus. But, but I want to say something very important. You know, I think when we've talked about imposters a lot, it can be easy for us as followers of Jesus to start doubting. But maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're not doing as good as you should. Maybe you just did something that you really regret. And you think, man, maybe I'm an imposter. Well, I'm encouraged to know that God's grace is unending. And there's a prayer that, that I once read that I love. This person prayed and said, God, I believe the desire to please you does in fact please you. See, imposters don't want to please God. And imposters aren't trying to seek after him. And I need us to understand this. Listen, everybody, starting with me, we all are stumbling forward in our walk, right? No one is like crushing it like the Olympic sprinter. We're all tripping forward. And God's grace is helping us along the way. And so I just want to encourage us, man, if you feel like, man, I, I've disqualified myself, Brian. I, I've done something so bad or I, I just keep on failing God. I'm trying my best, but, but I just can't seem to put it together. I don't think you've disqualified yourself more than Peter would have. Peter denied Jesus on the night Jesus went to death. Paul, the, the other great leader of the New Testament, he killed Christians before God got a hold of him. And so write this down. This is the last thing. Jesus' grace covered Peter's darkest moments. It can cover ours too. Amen. And the, the reason we're all clapping is because we've all experienced that grace. We know it. And so there really is only one thing that you can do that's going to disqualify you from God's grace, and that is rejecting it. Because Jesus is inviting everyone, it's his will that no one would perish. And so the unpardonable sin is simply repeatedly over and over until the end of your days, hardening your heart and saying no to Jesus' invitation for grace. And so I want to let everyone know here that Jesus is inviting us to follow him. It's going to be imperfect, but we're going to keep on pursuing. And so there may be some people right now, and 
you've walked away from God and you want to come back, but what's keeping you is thinking God will never accept me back. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you're thinking about your past and you're saying, man, there's no way God could accept me. God can accept you. He wants to bring you home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the warning and the instruction about imposters. And God, I pray that our church would be alert, but I also pray that we would be obsessed with loving each other and ultimately loving and bringing glory to you. And now, God, I just want to pray for those who need to come to you, who need to become a follower of Jesus. For some, it needs to be a rededication. They've walked away and they've they need to come back. For others, maybe they were even doing ministry. Maybe they were passionately following you at a time, but they walked away, and now they are afraid to come back. But you're drawing them home. Maybe for others, this is the first time. They've never really followed you, but they're ready. And if that's you, there's every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if you are wanting to come to Jesus, Jesus is offering to you a new life, forgiveness of sins, a new start. And if you're wanting that, I just want to ask you right now, if you would just raise your hands in the air. I believe God is speaking all over. Yeah, that's awesome. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else up in the balcony? Amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Anybody else? If you're watching online, there's a number that's on the screen right now. You can text or call that number and someone will reach out to you. In this room, is there anybody? Amazing. For those that did raise their hands, here's what I want to do. I just want to lead you in a short prayer. It's not a magical words prayer, but it is a moment for you to say, I want to come to Jesus. Just say, dear God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I believe in you. I believe that my sins are forgiven. I believe that I am a new creation. My past is gone and I can move forward. Help me to follow you. Help me to have people in my life, bring people around me that are gonna encourage me in my walk. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.